You're listening to episode 98 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, today is officially September 11th, which means I can officially reveal, according to my contract with Marvel Studios, my undisclosed role in the Captain Marvel film. Guys, I know you didn't know this, but I'm actually in Captain Marvel. Really? Yeah, that's right. Are you Captain Marvel? No, oh. no, 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 no. Mark, I don't know if you realize this, but Captain Marvel is a woman, and I'm not <gasps> a woman. Contrary to what you might have thought before. No way. That's right. So, uh, I'm actually cast in the movie as Captain Marvel's loyal and spunky sidekick. Funky Phil? <laughs> No, that's just on this show, Marco. But, you know, it's it's amazing. I sent her my 80-some audition tapes from this show (laughs) to get the part in that movie. I'm playing a character named Bucky Spillwater. And I say things to her like, Jiminy Jillikers, Carol, look over there, watch out! (laughs) Carol Danvers, you're in danger. You're not in the movie, Marco. You don't know my Oh, man. Did you say it was September 11th? Yeah, isn't that when this episode drops? No, dummy. <laughs> oh. It's oh, September tenth. Yeah, Shit, I released this information a day early. <laughs> Whoops! Oh no, it might cut me out of the movie now. <laughs> what a complete and utter fail! He broke Shit. the embargo. There's a scene in the movie. Sorry for the spoilers. Don't keep doing it. Well, it's over. Come out now. It's over. It's he over. might as well no. He might as well have his uh, ten seconds of fame no. on an audio format. It'll be in the no, deleted scenes. because I can't. <laughs> no, well, I'm not gonna get myself jammed up over you. I'm putting a stop to this now. Just all right. I just want you to no, picture me no. wearing Captain no. Marvel's outfit. I because that's what I wear in the movie. That's actually horrific. <laughs> it's just cosplay fetish. It's not yeah. a cosplay finish. I was put in there by the director herself. That's great, Phil. That's really great. Now that we've suffered through that awfulness, uh, welcome to the show. We've got a lot of <laughs> Captain Marvel to talk about. Uh, Phil has nothing to do with Captain Marvel. I'm in the movie. Okay, not anymore. From the clown. We'll see. <laughs> the spunky <laughs> sidekick. That's right. Bucky Spillwater. That's wonderful. <laughs> Spilled water on this podcast. Yeah, some bits you got to learn to let go of, you know? (laughs) I'm in the movie! Uh, As you become more of a professional podcaster, you'll understand that sometimes things aren't funny. And (laughs) (laughs) that uh, you have to stop rolling with them so that the host can do his job of saving your ass. Now, we've got quite the show for you guys here today. But before we jump into everything, got to let you guys know where you can find us. Though I don't know why you'd want to after what Phil just did. So, uh, we are all over the place as far as podcast hosting platforms go. SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts included. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, we're on YouTube, where if you're checking this out over there, you can drop us a like, leave us a comment, Share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel. It's free to do. It helps us out a lot more than it costs you. And we really, really appreciate that. Last week on the show, we talked about Comics Gate and we talked about all of the creators who came out in support of rebuking this evil virus presence in our community. 
and we got a little bit of feedback on that. So uh, I'm going to let Marco read a comment that we were included in from Facebook. All right. So some quick listener mail, guys. Uh, This one's from Ultron is my Elvis. He commented on uh, last week's episode 97 saying, I always enjoy the Comics Pals podcast, but this one is particularly good with some extremely cathartic and thorough demolition of this comics gate bullshit. Uh, he omitted the O and the A and full transparency. I couldn't figure it out for about 10 minutes. Um, and, but I agree. It is, it is bullshit. And I know I wasn't on the episode, uh, last week, but I did just want to add, uh, especially after Sean sort of ended the episode on a, on a really nice high note of kind of the positives within the community. Uh, and one of those positives is just us being able to sort of geek out on this stuff that we love you know like creators themselves are fans and the fans of fans is kind of a, a cool concept i think um and so it's just a really resounding community that uh i just wanted to tip my hat to because it's the industry that we love um and we also got an email from matt murphy from over at the long box he says, Chip Zdarsky's Howard the Duck Run as a book club. When? Uh, um, yeah, go ahead, Marco. Uh, I, I managed the book club scheduling, so Matt, you're not going to see that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. At least one person gets it. <laughs> Phil and Pete were all about it. I never said shit. I literally never even commented on it. Oh well, Pete was all about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> full full transparency though, I I do I, I do kind of want to read that book. No, oh. <laughs> betrayed. I I saw I saw us post. Uh, we have a group chat during the week when we're uh, not on the podcast, and um, I saw that post in our group chat, and I lo- looked at it, and I said, "Nope, moving along." <laughs> <laughs> you did immediately I sent it through and you're like nope like okay yeah that's that's completely awful uh, and then as far as Ultron is my Elvis's comments on the episode as well uh, I really appreciate what you said um, it's tough to talk about those kinds of subjects knowing that you're going to be under scrutiny for everything that you say or at least that there's a potential for scrutiny and especially because that scrutiny can come from those very people you're you're criticizing and critiquing. So it's good to know that even in the face of that, there were people who found it enjoyable or useful to them in their way of dealing with this awful crap that's been going on in our community for a year. Although I would argue that a lot of other people would say that it's this, been around forever. This, that the, yeah. yeah, the spirit of Comic Skate has existed forever, just that now it has taken shape. So, thank you for that. And uh, even though I am very much against your idea, Matt, thank you for writing it. Uh, just one more thing to add here. Uh, I was hit up by uh, Brian, who um, he hits me up every once in a while on uh, Twitter. We like talking about some horror stuff. And uh, he recently some ordered horror I'm stuff? That's horror what I heard. stuff. I heard yeah, hard America. stuff. What kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah. How hard is it? <laughs> Very. Oh, God. <laughs> um, he, 
he finally ordered uh, I Am a Hero, which is that Japanese manga um, that uh, I I really love. Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic zombie. Actually, not even post-apocalyptic. It's like in the midst of happening in Japan kind of story. And it's really, really cool. And he also ordered Alan Moore's Run on Swamp Thing. Do, 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 do. Uh, I should, I could have I just added that in post. I don't know why I had to do that. <laughs> um. I was going to say cut this segment out, Marco. But you know what, dude? <laughs> Fuck. Keep it. it was, it's good now. You saved it somehow. Is it? Um. Well, listen, I... I'm in charge of looking at the ratings uh, second by second during the actual podcast. The live Anytime, ticker. Yeah, the ticker. And as soon as Swan Thing is ever mentioned, ratings plummet. It's a ratings killer. But they take a dump into the muck. Is that another Swamp Thing thing, dude? I, yeah, it's... I try. More awfulness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at, at any rate, shout out because that's good stuff. Um, so, And thank you, Brian, for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. We always enjoy when you guys reach out and let us know what you're reading, uh, especially if it's something that we influenced in some way, of course, because we have huge egos. And the idea that (laughs) you guys are telling us that you're reading what we're talking about is fantastic. So thank you for that. So let's uh, I, I, I have a question for you guys. Huh? What kind of question, Sean? I don't know, just a random question, just something, you know, just popped into my head. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, I'm excited to hear this uh, random question that popped in your head. Yeah, just now, spontaneously, actually. Really? Oh, let's hear it. Yeah, wow. So, <laughs> uh, just, I wanted to know from you guys, two guys who, who definitely read a, a bunch of comics, what books do you want to see collected that aren't? Oh, that's, this that's is a, my kind oh, of topic, that's a damn it. good one. That's a big problem, I think, in comics, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so I'm a guy who likes... Coll- I, I primarily get my comics in collected editions. Yeah, you uh, do. As you'll see in my damn, uh, in my damn uh, pull list section, it's nothing but collected editions of stuff. <laughs> it's so, always an omnibus. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Um, so... Let's see. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, and I can't believe it hasn't been collected, is Jeff Johns' Superman run. How is that not in an omnibus? It's collected in you know various trade paperbacks, but it was like uh, until this most recent July, Grant Morrison's Batman run was not collected in omnibus form at all, which is right. insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. So Jeff Johns had one of the better Superman runs in the last 30 years, I'd say. And while most of it is a little bit segmented, I don't understand how it hasn't been collected. Um, you could probably fit it in one omnibus, too. Um, so I don't understand that for the life of me. That would be... That's really high on my list. In fact, in general, there are not a lot of Superman omnibuses. There's, like, the Death of Superman, the Return of Superman have been collected. Um, the Golden Age stories uh, have been collected. But uh, not nothing from really, like, the last 30 years. Other than the, the two Death of Superman books written by Jurgens I had mentioned about. Um, Carrie Bates Captain Adam run from 1987 which ran like a good 60 issues it's a really good underrated run that no one ever talks about came right after the post crisis that's a, that's not even collected in trades wow what yeah it's only in singles floppies and um, you read it you read it like that that's yeah I read that when I was a teenager wow 
That was Captain Adam was my favorite comic book character when I was a teenager. Really? Yeah. Holy shit, that's cool. Yeah. So I would love to be able to read those those that thirty year old book. Um, let's see. Uh, Sean, uh, sorry, Sean. To just just to confirm, it it has to be, it has to have not have been collected in trade. Well. No, if if it's if it's not collected in an edition that you won't want it to be, that's okay. Uh, but it, it's a better answer if it's something that's not collected at all. Okay, Just like Captain okay. Adam. Um, also, this book is way out of uh, way out of print, and each trade is inflated substantially because of uh, how difficult it is to find. But I would love to see it collected in an omnibus as well. Uh, Nova. By uh, D&D, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, which is another phenomenal book that was being printed during their, uh, their you know, Cosmic Odyssey from 2007 till 2012 or whatever. Um, that's another book I'd like to see because I don't have it because it's so damn expensive. They also need to reprint Volume 1 Omnibus of uh, um, The Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman. Which is also out of print and going for like $300. Yes. Yeah. I think what's out of print and unavailable is just as bad as what they've never put together. Exactly. Annihilation, Annihilation proper is another one. That's like $600. Yeah. Marco, what do you got? One more. One oh more. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Go so Grant Morrison's Action Comics run are all collected in hardcover and trade paperback in those 18 issues. I want a deluxe edition of that. 18 issues collected in a deluxe edition. It's not too much to ask. I think that's really reasonable. In fact, they made it in Europe. What? Oh, really? They have it available in Europe, I think in different languages, but not English and not in the United States. That's so odd. <laughs> Isn't that fucked? Wow. You're just getting denied, Phil. I know. <laughs> Sean, you really touched on like a nerve here for me. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> All right, Marco, go ahead. Um, so for me, there are some runs in between uh, the last couple arcs um, where Rick, Rick Beach took over the Swamp Thing run. Uh, and then in, right before when uh, Grant Morrison started on the book. And so there are a couple in there with like Nancy Collins is in there. Um, uh, Dan Wheeler's run is pretty good. Like those haven't been collected at all, even in trade. And those are ones that I think are were built to be more um, longer form runs and episodic. So those uh, I've always wished were collected, um, especially the Quest for the Elementals run, where he sort of slowly starts to absorb other, um, or sorry, he tries to find the previous elementals of the Swamp Thing sort of family, uh, the elemental family in general. And he goes back in time trying to hit each one of those and discover sort of a, a portion of that history. Uh, and then the first 19 issues uh, before Alan Moore's run, uh, those are super hard to find and you don't get that sort of before and after look at the character you know uh so that's something that i always wish was collected um and if you don't if it since they don't have that you kind of just have to like dig around for it in uh in storage for single issues for that uh also dc comics where's our omnibus of denny o'neill's question huh oh that's a good one 
deliver the goods, baby. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so for me, my okay, my biggest want when it comes to this has to be a comic book that I've been hunting for almost the entire time that I've been a fan of comics. Ooh. Now, when I f- first got into comics, I was really reading the X-Men like constantly. And one of the runs that I found very, um, very good and approachable, and it spoke to what I was kind of dealing with and feeling as a young kid, was um, the new X-Men by... Uh, Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost. And the particular story arc that I'm referring to is Childhood's End. Now, anybody who is familiar with that story probably knows that it is impossible to find this, this whole thing collected together. It doesn't exist. But beyond that, there are trades of it because they released all five trades properly. But there's one or two that are impossible to find. I'm so mad for you. <laughs> yeah. And when I was a kid, I didn't I didn't really understand that, you know? So I would go to comic book conventions and I would scour the racks, mm-hmm. go to New York Comic Con, look all over the place, never found it, right? And I, I have never found it. Uh it is it is I think I think that I that I did see it on Amazon, but it was $30 and sold out. Man, listen, the volume four, $50. There you go. There you go. And they've never... trade paperbacks. Yeah, they've never reprinted it. They probably won't. Oh, it gets worse. Volume five is $132. Yeah. What? Hundred thirty-two dollars. It's really good, and I think that's part of why. But I think another part is just that it's it's out of print, and this is really old at this point. So, Sean, did that have a crossover, like, or not a crossover? But were some of that material in the Uncanny X Men stuff too? I don't think so. It was pretty uh, self-contained, from what I recall. I haven't. I've never finished it because I I, I couldn't. You know, I didn't want to skip ahead one entire trade so i just right, right. waited thinking ah, i'll find it one day that day has never come because <laughs> there's a there's a couple and is this run when they like sort of uh the x machine gets attacked and they're sort of on the run and stuff yeah yeah i th- i think i have like a random issue there's one where wolverine kind of goes sort of rabid and is being chased around in the snow and gets helped out by two of the new mutants um, I'm trying to forget. I'm trying to remember what it is, but anyway, whatever. Sidebar, but that sucks. It's yeah. It's very. Uh, it's very sad. And then since we all gave more than one answer, I will too. This is a desperate want, and maybe it exists, and I don't know, but I don't think it does. This isn't really the style of the big two to do something like this. I want a civil war complete edition set of Omnibuy. So yeah. the entire series, not just the the primer the primary event, but all the tie-ins in chronological order with 
say say for example because marvel.com has the the proper reading order and so for example it says read amazing spider-man 529 through 531 fantastic four 536 through 37 new avengers illuminati and then civil war number one i want that all like in the in that order and then so on and so forth when they run out of space do a new omnibus and continue that until you've got the entire event yeah they have like a um they have like a giant collection of it i don't know if you've seen it um and it's so unwieldy and takes up a lot of space and i mean i imagine it would regardless but Having it in that concise, probably like four omnibuses, I imagine, that's the way to go. I'm with you. Yeah. And I would love to have even the, what they have released, what you're referring to. But the the Civil War was such a huge, sprawling event that I think celebrating it that way is appropriate. There's a box set. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's $473. Yeah. Woof. I'll buy it one day. It's temporarily out of stock, which mean which to me says it's uh probably it's, not gonna it's difficult to find. Okay, yeah. so I'll buy it never. Yeah, right? <laughs> um shit, that's a good one, dude. You, that's all I got. You, you know what else I would love? Uh the mid two thousands Exiles run. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who, who wrote that? I'm trying to think offhand. I'm not sure. I have a few oh. trades of that though. I, I, I love was that a real book big as a teenager. Fan yeah, Harris actually, who writes in regularly, uh, is a huge fan of that run. You know what? Someone tell me who wrote that. <laughs> write in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can find out. We can. Find I know. Out. We can. <laughs> it was Judd Winnick. Was it really? Okay, it says yeah, it was that, created yeah. by him. I think it was him. That, that sounds. That makes sense. Yeah. I wrote, I read a lot of Judd Winnick books when I was a teenager, like Green Arrow and shit, Batman, sure. Red Hood. So. Yeah. That that'd be a that'd be another one I would love because uh, stuff I haven't read in like fifteen years. That's stuff that really comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because a lot of that stuff they don't care about in the same way because it's you know they're not the big events, and obviously these these comic book companies have gotten better at collecting their stuff. But Marvel has at least yeah the more recent stuff, but. The stuff from you know more than a decade ago, not so much. It's just, I think it's difficult to find a market for outside of collectors, because you can sell a recently published trade pretty easily, because it's like oh this just came out. But stuff from fifteen years ago, that's a that's mu- that's a much more niche market. Yeah, that's it a sucks. really good point. Yeah, it's it unfortunate. Sucks. If you're a longtime fan of comics, it's it's hard to find your loves. Unless they're um, classics. Unless they're classics, exactly. And and well-recognized classics. Exactly. So, let's jump into Pals Pulls. Uh, we'll start with Phil. All right. So, on my pull list, uh, I have the... Talking about collected editions of books. Uh, DC has just published, or they're about to, the absolute edition of The Killing Joke, which I know is a polarizing book right now in light of um, uh, more sociopolitical events the last few years. I still think it's a classic. I think it's you can't uphold something that was made in the past to current standards of, of what's appropriate necessarily. Um, one of my favorite movies is uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which has Mickey Rourke in Yellowface. 
or Mickey Rooney rather, Mickey Rooney and Yellowface, which is really fucked up and bad. But in the context of 1951, which I believe is the year it came out, uh, people didn't really take as much umbrage with that kind of thing. You had to hold things to the standard of the time that it came out, I think. Um, so with the killing joke, it's the quintessential Batman story in a lot of ways. Uh, what I love about Absolute Editions is that they print their stories on archival paper, so it's just the quality is much better. It has mm. tons of background stuff that will come from illustration, uh, author notes, stuff like that, so you get to see a little bit behind the scenes. Um, and then it's just much larger, the images. Like, you get to full the see, you get to see the full art the way the artist actually drew it. And that is the good shit, folks. And um, I was just looking at the description. It has both uh, the original colors as well as the reimagined colors when they updated it. So that's really right. cool. Right. DC actually, uh, they, they did this with a lot of stories that were published in the 70s and 80s. They, they changed the coloring around, which pisses off a lot of older fans. I don't like um, that. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, so you, the fact that they have it in both forms is actually... I'll take it. That's a good. That's a good thing. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is I, I, this came out last week, but I completely missed it. Apparently, Tom King just did a supersized Superman issue that's only being released in Walmart's. Yeah, which a ties in together with our whole thing about how to get comics out there more and doing a book that's specifically being only sold at Walmart is very interesting and has. This has been a topic on our shows. You can go back and listen to some of those episodes in the eighties where we kind of talk about that. But that's something I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna pick up today. You're going to Walmart. I'm going to Walmart to pick this up because I really like Tom King and I really want to see more of his Superman because the only taste we really got was from that uh, you know one thousandth issue spectacular thing where it was just like a little sampler. You think you could grab me an issue actually? Because I'd really love to read that. I'll see what I can do. I'll see okay. if they have. Thank you. Awesome. And the last thing I have on here, which I won't dwell on, is uh, the uh, Daredevil book published by uh, Kevin Smith and uh, Joe Quesada. The Marvel Knights book, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Help me out. Is that it? No, 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 no. no. Uh, Shit. I clicked the link and it took me to the website that I had it. Whatever. You know the book I'm talking about. It's, It's one of Kevin Smith's better works from what I'm told. I've never read it. It's like uh, Hell's Angel or something. Hell's Guardian or something. Guardian Devil. Um, Yeah, this was published during the Marvel Knights line of the late 90s. He uses Mysterio as an antagonist. I've talked about this in the past when we talked about Mysterio being in in an amazing Spider-Man 2. Kevin Smith's comic books are very polarizing. Uh, A lot of people always talk about the time he made Batman pee himself as a a pejorative. Um, This is supposed to be his best book that he ever did. And you don't see a lot of books with Quesada on art because, you know, he went and became editor-in-chief pretty quickly in short order around that time. So this is a book that has probably been collected before, but it is definitely a reprint. And I am a big Daredevil fan, which is only a recent development in my life. I became a Daredevil fan as a, as a consequence of the TV show back in 2012, 2013. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's when I started reading every single Daredevil book. Wow, I thought you were going to say the Cazetta Irish Guilt. I mean, I, I mean, mean that's part of why I relate to it. Oh, Irish, Irish Catholic, Catholic guilt. guilt. There you go. Um, so yeah, this is one of the books, one of the few books that I've read. Uh, Nachantes, Daredevil, Bendis, uh, Wade, um, of course Miller. I've never read this Kevin Smith book, so I'm interested in it. So there you go. 
Popcorn Marco. Oh. Uh, Is he a wiener? <laughs> like he was popcorn just really Mar- mesmerized by what I had to say. <laughs> um, so I picked out Cemetery Beach number one, uh, being published by Image. That's one of Warren Ellis's new books. I am a really oh. big fan of Warren Ellis. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so whenever he comes out with something new, I'm like, mm, okay. Uh, it's that's worth giving a shot. It's worth giving it a shot, exactly. And uh, this one's supposed to be sort of his take on a nonstop action book. He says, like, from the get-go, it's just going to be a full-on adventure and full-on high-speed action. So I'm like, okay, I'm I'm down. It's Warren Ellis. I trust his stuff. I like what he does. And Do you know what Warren Ellis book I've always wanted to read and I never have? And it, uh, it's kind of relevant a little bit because um, – we did that Punisher review of the TV show, but I've always wanted to read Warren Ellis's Punisher run, which is supposed to be like the best Punisher ever written. It's supposed to be really good. I've, I've actually heard that and I've been interested to, to pick it up uh, because he is on that one. And baby, that's an omnibus form. Is it really? <laughs> they, they published an omnibus form as recently as like five months ago. Well, there you go. Anyway, Mark, go on. <laughs> and uh, I also picked out, uh, so follow me on this one. It's MCM... L X X V, right? Roman numerals. I'm uh, done. <laughs> it's uh nineteen eighty. Nineteen seventy five, sorry. Uh wait, did you have to figure out the Roman numerals? <laughs> no, I had to quickly click into the link to confirm it. Okay. <laughs> I thought you problem solved live on the show here. <laughs> uh so it's nineteen seventy five and it's basically a story about a taxi driver with an enchanted tire iron who defeats monsters. What? Okay. I'm fucking what into hell? it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's supposed to be uh, the, there was an interview by the Hollywood reporter and basically they're like, uh, let's tell a story that's part Foxy Brown, part taxi driver, part Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and the writer is Joe Casey and with uh, artist Ian McGowan. Joe Casey is a good author. Yeah, Joe Casey, sure. He's been around for 30 years. Really? Yeah. He he did some good work on Mr. Majestic, my dude. There's a name drop. (laughs) So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know who that is. Joe Casey. He's a good author, I'm telling you. No, well, no, I I don't doubt it. I just I don't know who they who they are. You're about to find out, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, right. This book, yeah. He's so, really underrated in the in the echelons of comic history. I'm I'm pumped for it. it. The premise is cool, so definitely looking out for it. Looking forward to it. All right, cool. Sean? So I chose Fantastic Four number two. I really enjoyed the first issue more than anyone else on the show, and I can't wait for the next one. Uh, Dan Slott's getting a lot of shit lately, which is. I par for the course, I suppose. Yeah, I was just gonna say lately. That's his, that's his thing. Just seems like it's 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 uh, it's pretty heavy right now. But I don't care. I like his work. I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna enjoy it because what he and Sarah Pacelli have done so far has been fantastic. Pun intended. I can't wait for more. So cool. I'm into it. I'll read it with you. Fuck it. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Let's jump into the news here. We've got some 
news about a book that's gonna be coming out. Can it's we called skip Swamp this segment? Thing. You know ah. what? Maybe we maybe we skip it. Honestly, no, no. It's, it's a really no. It's kind of it's it's gonna be a good book. Is it? Uh, why? It's Greg Capullo and uh, Scott Snyder. They're coming back, baby. Well, they're great, but what are they doing this for? <laughs> yeah, why can't yeah. they work on something like Man Thing at least? <laughs> at, at least Man Thing. At the very least, coming out of R.L. Stein's run. Yeah, bottom of the Cracker Barrel here. Clearly, the superior, uh, you know, swamp creature. The superior thing. <laughs> the if superior I have to write thing. the things in comics, Ben Grimm's number one, Man Thing's number two, and Swamp Thing is number ten. I agree with that list. I'm actually, I think Swamp Thing comes in number twenty for me. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only like three. Um, is it like four things? Who's the fourth? Who's the fifth? Are you thinking know. of thing one and thing two from Doctor Seuss? Because you're right. There you they go. Are so, of, they yeah. are ahead of Doc. They of, are ahead of, of Swamp. Of Doctor Swamp Thing. <laughs> I was gonna say Doctor Seuss, but whatever. They are also ahead of Doctor Seuss. Miscreation <laughs> <laughs> supersede him. I, I guess. I mean, it's in the news, so I guess I do have to read it. Although I, oh, I, I protest. Good. Yeah. Uh. So. Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder uh, are going to be working on Swamp Thing. It was announced at the DC Nation panel at Toronto Fan Expo earlier in the week that uh, they will be doing a short story, which is scheduled for Halloween, which will also feature Wonder Woman. So that's interesting. We don't know where that short story is going to appear, at least... uh, I don't know, and uh, at the time of this article from Bleeding Cool being written, they didn't know. So, we'll see on that. It could be in Justice League Dark, or The Witching Hour, we don't know. But, they will also be working on a Swamp Thing series proper. Do-do-do-do! I did it again. I I could have just left that. (laughs) I like this bit now. (laughs) It wasn't even a bit. I was just being genuinely excited. But now it is. Now it is. Uh, Greg Capullo has actually been <laughs> teasing him drawing Swamp Thing on Twitter. If you follow him on Twitter, he's done some some stuff with the character, and it all looks really, really good. Uh, so, you know, jokes aside, I think this is a fantastic duo to be working on this title. Uh, Greg does a great job with Swamp Thing, as I said. Scott Snyder's roots are in horror comics, and he's done great work in that space before so i can't wait to see what they accomplish here mark yeah and sorry, how do you feel how did you feel about the new 52 swamp thing with yannick paquette yeah uh, and scott snyder is the author the art was spectacular uh he always does those kind of like panel layouts um that sort of transform and sort of integrate into the book uh the writing I thought was pretty solid. It was a different, the first arc was um, sort of a different take. Like Swamp Thing didn't actually appear until like issue eight. It was sort of coming out of the aftermath of, um, there was a thing that was going on. There was an event. What, what led into new 52? Help me. A a flashpoint. That. And Alec Holland became the white lantern. Um, Oh, that was back in uh, brightest day. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that it came out like right after that, and so he's revived uh, as a human. And so the first arc or two is sort of him as a human, 
uh, and that sort of uh, experience going into becoming this, uh, the Swamp Thing again and taking the mantle of the elemental once again. Um, and uh, the uh, from an art perspective, I really like Greg Capullo. Uh, you know, his stuff on Spawn was really, really cool. And sure. it has a lot of that, you know, more horror influence. So definitely, I think he's uh, a solid pick for this. Um, a lot of the stuff that he did on Batman injected a lot of uh, horror elements with, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of his, his inking. All these people who'd ink over him. Uh, and even his own pencils and stuff were just really, really solid. So this is a book that I'm excited for personally. And uh, I have a couple of friends who are also like into Swamp Thing that they're also pretty, pretty pumped to, to see this book come out. Get the fuck out of here. You don't know anyone else in this world other than the four of us. <laughs> and none of us like Swamp Thing. I like Swamp Thing. Hey. You don't have to be nice. All right. I don't <laughs> like Swamp Thing. <laughs> but um, uh, go on. I, I did just want to add, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the 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 show um there was another news piece that they're going to be tackling potentially alan moore's run uh, on on the tv show which is just good news in general that uh, i wanted to quickly shout out boy this is this is the most marcos talked a second in the history of this, of this podcast <laughs> um i never read uh scott snyder and yannick Paquette's run with len ween so good Back in 2012. Yeah. That's why I wondered if you liked it, Marco. Uh, I can see Sean really liked it. Um, it was good. curious, though, Wait, because I Sean, really, read really... I read it. I loved it. I oh. I, uh, I was actually very, very into that whole thing that they did because they also had, uh, if I remember correctly, Jeff Lemire on Animal Man. Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. That big crossover. Yeah. yeah. That was fantastic. I love that whole... The Rot World story. crossover? Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. It also uh, crossed over with uh, Frankenstein at the time. Who was writing Frankenstein yes. at the time? Don't remember. I remember that was no a book idea. coming out. Shit, you're right. It yeah. didn't last very long, though. Like 12 Shocking. issues, Max. Um, just The reality is New 52 is underrated as hell. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the um, early days were, were, were really There was Jeff good. Lemire and J.G. Jones. Whew, wow. Wow, okay. And Alberto Panicelli. Good book. I didn't read it, but I can already tell it's a good book. It was good. It was really good. Um, but I really, I really like Yannick Paquette's art in general, and he was a good friend of our show. You can go listen to that interview on YouTube somewhere. Um, on YouTube the, somewhere. Yeah, where, I don't know where, where would it be? Where would it be? Just type in uh, the thing I want to watch on YouTube, and uh, you'll get there. <laughs> what a fucking great plug. Wow. <laughs> Go to the Comics Pals YouTube page and type in Yannick Paquette, New York Comic Con, where we'll be in a month. Uh, but the reality is Scott Snyder is at his best i think when he is writing horror books um american vampire yeah i read a little bit of that and that was some of the it's best things stuff. he's ever done i think that's vertigo right yeah. or was that yes. image no it's vertigo. vertigo um early his his early batman run is pretty darn good um in the later part of his run too i like i like it toward the end too sags in the middle mirror. i think 
Black, Black Mirror. Mirror was very dark, very ah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. Amazing. Especially that the, the, is the back his half. best. That's his best Batman book, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, and of course, Greg Capullo is a master. He is one of the best artists in the history of the industry, um, and I think they make a really good tandem. I did an article for CBR some time ago where I uh, did like the best tandems in comic history, and I think I had those two in the top five. Um, so yeah, I mean it's worth checking out because um, Swamp Thing I think really lends itself to that horror. Um, I know I've always told Marco if I were to write the book, I would write him as a very Silver Age superhero where I'd have him <laughs> fly around saving people in major cities and stuff. Um, just to piss Marco off. I'd be upset. <laughs> but uh yeah this, this sounds pretty dope cool so uh we know that heroes in crisis is coming out that's going to be coming out towards the end of the month uh from dc and dc has rolled out some ads and they've, they've put some money behind trying to drum up excitement for this comic now they've come under fire for some of the ways in which they've chosen to do this because heroes in crisis is dealing with serious mental illness. Right. And so general fans have been upset about this, but also uh, a, a PhD, a, a doctor, uh, Janina Scarlett, who has a PhD has been very <laughs> critical of what DC has been doing. In particular, she's taken issue with what uh, psychoanalyst John Foster Elliott has had to say in his analysis of DC's major figures and the characters that are going to factor in big into this book. So what DC has taken to is that they have been releasing these psychotherapy assessments for some of their top characters written by John Foster Elliott. Now, I want to read a couple of these because this is what Janina Scarlet is upset about and what other fans have been upset about. So I'll read them and you guys tell me what you think. So this one is from Superman. This is the one that has people really mad. Psychotherapy assessment. Many who have been adopted tend to experience an attachment disorder. Intimacy is blocked by behavioral patterns because of a fear of loss. In this manner, Clark has compensated for the original injury by creating the Superman persona to protect himself from the underlying insecurity he has always had unconsciously. Having to suppress strength and sensory input on a consistent basis takes a toll emotionally and physiologically. To be aware that one is so different, so alien again causes a disconnect. Adjustment disorder with mixed disturbance of emotions and conduct, conversion disorder with motor symptoms, or de deficit attachment disorder. Now, do you guys think that that assessment fits Superman? You know, when you, say, when you hear things like unconsciously, like, how do you dispute something that's in the unconscious? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's not something that is... You can't change anything in your unconscious because it's not conscious. You don't make a deliberate decision with anything that is 
either subconscious or unconscious. It's 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 in the undercurrents of your psyche of your brain. So like when I hear shit like that, my immediate impulse is to be like, oh, that doesn't sound right at all. But then like you can throw in a word like unconsciously, and it's like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to dispute that? I don't know. Well, unconscious insecurity is what he's referring to. That Superman is insecure because of the fact that uh, he he he's been adopted. That's that's the logic here. Now, yeah, and I'm saying I'm saying Superman. I would say no, but unconsciously insecure. Fucking maybe. I don't know. I might be unconsciously insecure. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it it would. It, it's not about your ability to assess it. It's about someone else's ability. It's about the ways in which you display those factors outwardly. So, if Superman doesn't behave as an individual who is um, who is uh, insecure, then he's not. Right. If if you if you don't if you don't have insecure tendencies, then you're not insecure. Maybe. I mean, I I don't think he has insecure tendencies. I don't think I have insecure tendencies. But unconsciously, I might be insecure because I can't control my unconscious. That's not the way that works, Phil. Let's let's <laughs> let's let's have some some level of integrity in this conversation. We're analyzing Superman. Superman is the subject here. I don't think that Superman is insecure in this way at all. No, I don't think so either. Um, also, I don't think he really has... Um, I don't think he has intimacy issues either. Yeah. Beyond, say that. beyond perhaps the physical Brian barrier. Michael Bendis run. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, no. It's just... Um, I don't think there's an intimacy barrier that comes from like an emotional place, I guess is what I should say. Yeah. And I think also the, uh, the last note, the sort of disconnection because one is so alien, like the whole idea is that he perpetuates specific ideologies and he is integrated into the sort of, uh, ideas of like the American way and all that stuff and so I, I I personally don't see that either uh even though he does acknowledge that you know he's not from uh earth necessarily he still feels like he is part of it because of the way in which he acts and protects it and the way he is selfless about it I think some people try to project um an immigrant mentality on Superman and he is an immigrant but He's really more of a second generation immigrant in the sense that like even though he was born on Krypton, he behaves in a way that he's been he was born assimilated into the culture that he was born into in a way a person that yeah. has immigrant parents like would be because even though you know your your background is from another place because of your parents, you were raised in a different environment that you were a part of. Yeah, you know what he, I mean? You can ask Marina, like, what are you? She's like, she's American. She grew up here. She knows right. this. And so she can be from Colombia, but she is American first and Colombian second because of the way she was raised. Who and that's kind of how his, his girlfriend. I know that, but the audience is low. Yeah, Marco's oh, I thought, girlfriend. I, I thought I brought that up before. You um, may have, but you yeah, never wait, know. For reference, just in case. You know, they're first. Oh, fair, fair, fair. My girlfriend. Right, and and I think that's true of Clark Kent as well. I agree. 
Yeah, and I, I don't really feel the need to even read more of these. Uh, some of them have good points, like the Batman one. Others just are weird, like Wonder Woman. How can you psychoanalyze a god? Batman's um, been psychoanalyzed to death. Batman, affluenza. Now, <laughs> back to Superman. This kind of represents a problem in society right now, which is just that we have this need to apply psychoanalysis to everything. Everybody has some kind of disorder. Everybody is, you know, fundamentally broken. Superman does not have these problems. And if he did, they, he doesn't have them anymore. Uh, that's part of the reason why people dislike Superman is because he is so perfect. Maybe if he had some of these problems and he displayed them in his comics, people would like him more. But this is simply not a part of him. This is just not... It's not observable in the books that we read. If Superman was a real human, maybe he would have these problems. But in the comics, he just doesn't. And to me personally, and I want to hear what you guys think about this, I don't know that it's... uh, I don't know that it's... uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? I don't think that this is doing any justice to the comic book that they're trying to promote or to the character or to treating psychological issues as uh, respectfully as possible. I don't think this does that in any way. And uh, the 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 doctor, Janina, Janina Scarlet, agrees with that assessment. She says the following. Um, some fictional characters such as Storm from X-Men are known to struggle from certain disorders. She has claustrophobia. On the other hand, other characters such as Batman who experience traumatic events um, do not necessarily meet the criteria for a mental health disorder. Sure, Batman may display and exhibit certain symptoms which can be found across certain disorders including PTSD and depression. However, for someone to be diagnosed with a disorder, they have to meet the required criteria of symptoms over a set amount of time and these symptoms need to be dysfunctional enough to warrant a mental health diagnosis. 14 comments to psychoanalyze popular comic book characters such as Batman, Superman, Harley Quinn, and, and others. Personally and professionally, I believe that providing mental health education using fictional characters can be extremely helpful in assisting people in understanding mental health and recovery. However, such education practices must be handled delicately and appropriately. Diagnosing characters with mental illness without an explanation, without evidence, and in such a blasé format grossly misrepresents mental health and poses a threat to further pathologize mental health for those who actually struggle with these disorders in real life. What do you guys make of that? I think it's a fair comment. Um, And, you know, we... We, we do have friends who uh, have spoken outwardly about this and who have written comics about this, you know, uh, about their personal experiences um, having a mental, mental illness and mental health issues. And uh, I don't know, I guess I'm sort of just would, would be interested to sort of hear their perspectives on, on these sort of uh, specific 
diagnosis well, I, mean, I guess. But that's the background here is Tom King is expressing his own PTSD to this book. Sure. Um, but I think from a just like a larger perspective there, the the rest like he could be expressing that, but he's not necessarily one who and I, I don't know if he is, but can be trained or is trained to necessarily analyze it. Outside of his experience. But he's not the one who wrote this. Right, right. So those people who are writing it, uh, I guess I'm I'm sort of trying to figure that like that that bridging that between the experience and between the uh the analysis. Right. Well, I guess for 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 me in my mind, this is this is really about the fact that this doesn't do anybody any good, right? Like mental health is supposed to be serious and Tom King is trying to treat it seriously through Heroes in Crisis. It just feels like DC is is using this opportunity to cash grab off the fact that people are in love with psychoanalysis right now. Are they like are people in love with psychoanalysis? Like I don't I don't think that's like a buzz right now where people are like, "All right, what's wrong with me? Hit me, hit me, hit me." Like, of course it is. Everybody everybody self ascribes a disorder. I'm anxious. I have anxiety. I have this or that. I I think I think those types of things are really broad in the way that people do it where they'll say like oh i'm just really ocd or i'm feeling a lot of anxiety like you can ascribe a broader emotional spectrum to saying a statement like that even though it's perhaps uh insensitive to someone that actually suffers from like acute anxiety disorder or something like that um but it's just it's part of the lexicon of of just things that people say i don't think people actually psychoanalyze themselves because psychoanalysis is a lot more in depth in in the case of what we just saw you don't see people like all right well let's take your character traits and try to figure out and boil down what exactly is wrong with you i I don't think that's as much of a a craze really um also just in general regard to like psychoanalyzing these dc characters um i think it's really odd because characters differ from run to run and it's almost as if the person in question who did this was given a really, really general description of these characters and was and, and diagnosed complex psycho psychological disorders based off vague descriptions, which and to your point, Sean, does no one any good because they're not real people. Yeah. Well, to take it back to what you said, man, I I really disagree. Saying you're OCD is that's bogus. That's a that's a self that's a self description of a mental disorder that you are that you are saying I have this. I agree with you on that. Completely bogus, and I don't think it's just. I don't think it's as simple as saying, "Oh, well, that's just part of the lexicon." That's just you know. I I I agree with you in the sense that it's bogus, but I don't think people are doing it. In a literal sense, I think people are just saying things. I don't think people say like, "Oh, I'm just being OCD." I don't think they really think like, "Oh, I'm definitely I have OCD disorder." Why do you, you know think what I mean? that though? They they it's, say it, it's they hyper- speak as if they do. But it's it's hyperbolic. They're like, being hyperbolic. Exactly. I don't take it that way. 
People when people say I have anxiety, I'm not assuming that they that it's just like every human has anxiety. Everybody experiences anxiety every day. Uh, to say I have anxiety sounds like you're saying I have a disorder. That's not the same thing. And that's a correct thing to uh, say, I think. But that's not people don't say correct things. People speak hyperbolically. If you're like, wait, really? Do you have anxiety? Have you been to um, you know a psychiatrist? Like a thing. Yeah, and, and they'd like, be oh, like, well, no, but I, but guess know. what, guys? The things you say about yourself matter. So I agree. People, so, so 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 what I'm saying is that when people do that, they're creating a narrative about themselves that isn't true, and it's not helping themselves, and it's actually hurting themselves, and it hurts other people. And so, to me, DC is feeding into that by now ascribing these same types of symptoms to characters that don't exist, and in some cases have never uh, displayed these kinds of problems at all. Right, and I think that point comes to the part that that person's probably never really read any of these books and was given a really vague description, like, well, you know, Superman does is adopted. Like, you could you could do really vague bullet points and kind of just do like a a gloss over thing based off that, which to your point doesn't benefit anyone. I absolutely agree to that, um, and I and I agree that like you when you say things in a blase way, it trivializes real disorders, and you're right. When you say something, people will assume it because of the weight of what people say. Like, there are weight to words. But most people just don't. People just, people literally say things with no actual thought of consequence. So. Well, that's certainly true. Yeah. All right. Uh, Moving along, DC has made a diversity and inclusion commitment. Uh, as part of the broader initiative uh, started by AT&T, who have acquired Time Warner, Uh, Warner Media has released a statement that elaborates on this. It is essential that our content and creative partners reflect the diversity of our society and the world around us. Together with other production companies, networks, guilds, unions, talent agencies, and others in the industry, we all must ensure there is greater inclusion of women, people of color, the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community, those with disabilities, and other re- underrepresented groups in greater numbers, both in front and behind of the camera. For our part, Warner Media pledges to use our best efforts to ensure that diverse actors and crew members are considered for film, television, and other projects, and to work with directors and producers who also seek to promote greater diversity and inclusion in our industry. To that end, in the early stages of the production process, we will engage with our writers, producers, and directors to create a plan for implementing this commitment to diversity and inclusion on our projects with the goal of providing opportunities for individuals from underrepresented groups at all levels. And we will issue an annual report on our progress. What do you guys think about that? I'll believe it when I see it. Alec Baldwin just quit. He says there are 25 other people that could take his place. You got 25 people of either color, LGBTQ uh, association, uh, and um, people with disabilities to consider. There you go. Let's see. Let's see it. Phil? Mm, uh, um, yeah, I guess we'll see, huh? Um, 
<laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's that's it, a nice sentiment, I guess. So we'll see. Um, uh, I'll tell you this much: problems with Warner Brothers content isn't the lack of diversity, which, while apparent, that's not their primary issue. Quality is. <laughs> I uh, I actually don't like things like this. Uh, I, I I don't I don't really care for these kind of grandiose statements about how diverse we're about to be and we're gonna yeah just fucking just do it yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it comes across as like a marketing ploy it is I, it I totally always is. feel this way it um, is they're gonna report on it <laughs> and, yeah and they then will actually what really gets me is the part where they say to that end in the early stages of the production process. That they will engage with the writers and producers to direct and directors to create a plan for implementing this commitment. That basically sounds to me like they're going to force the creators of their upcoming projects to include diversity for the sake of it. That's a bad idea. That's a to me. That's a really bad idea. I don't want to see them pump out a movie. That includes like a cyborg movie, for example, just because they need to make a movie with a black main character. I don't want I don't want that. Make make it great. I don't even care about a cyborg comic book, to be honest with you, let alone a cyborg movie. Not every character has to have their own film or their own this or that just because they're whatever they are. If the if the content is good and if there's a great idea and if it makes sense for the market, then let's do it. They did but, a uh, Black Lightning TV show that's apparently pretty good and popular. Yeah, yeah. And, and and based on what I've heard, there was a good idea there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. no one, no one was like, "Oh, you know what? We need a black character on TV." They're just like, "Oh, this is a good idea. He's a character who is a person of color. Let's do it." I mean, I'm sure that conversation happened too from the executives. You know what? That'll help our diversity quota over here on the CW. It'll make us look good. Yeah, roll with it. That's my impression of a CW executive. Jesus. Well, Greg Berlanti's an executive. Well, I'm not saying... There's probably other executives there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I What's, I, it, what's it called? Black Thunder? Alright, fucking do it, I guess. Black Thunder. <laughs> I... I included this because I'm interested in how this will affect DC Comics and films in particular, if this will impact their rollout of future films. We already know that they've got the Supergirl movie um, in the works, that they want to make a Batgirl movie. I wonder if those films kind of take center stage as a result of this. Is that still happening, Batgirl? Yeah, I believe so. Well, shit, okay. I thought, didn't... didn't, um joss leave or something he exited the project yes they have been fielding other uh interested parties from a directorial perspective okay let's uh, pause the show for a second here so i can submit my resume uh i think you're the wrong sex for that one my friend all right well if you say so (laughs) (laughs) so this one phil you might actually enjoy Superman the movie is coming back to theaters for the Boo. 40th anniversary. Oh. What's up, Hot Marco? takes? Uh, not, no, nothing. I was, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, this is the best superhero movie ever made, I think. Uh, I know we talked about The Dark Knight the other day, but um, 
this this helped uh, I just watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind last night which is um one of my uh, it's a phenomenal film might be Steven Spielberg's best but that in conjunction with Star Wars and Superman the movie which all came out in about like a nine month span from one another uh, really reignited the public's conscious in in fantasy and sci-fi um, in a way that had been really dormant since maybe like 1969. Um, the 70s weren't really defined by their interest in, in genre fiction. But as the tagline of the movie says, it made you believe a man could fly. This is one of the most important movies in the genre of not just superhero films, but just fantasy, fantasy and sci-fi. Um, I love this movie. Uh, I'd definitely go see this in theaters. There was a good stint for a while where I was going to see a lot of retro films in theaters like Aliens and uh, Star Trek II, uh, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, dude. That was that was a good one. I, I went to see that one. There's a, there was a good there was a good stint where um, The Thing was another one. Uh, this, is a, this is a movie I would absolutely see in theaters. Um, and for my money, really the only great superman movie superman 2 is pretty good but this was like the this was the genre defining film so fuck yeah yeah i think i would like to do this um i haven't seen this movie in a very long time i don't remember it didn't really have much of an effect on me obviously phil it was very important to you but as a younger kid i think um the batman movies did it more for me I, I, I've never been crazy about the Tim Burton Batman films. Um, and I recognize their importance. In 1989, that was the biggest film on the planet. Um, and they sent, of course, what was maybe my favorite cartoon ever, Batman Animated Series. Um, but this was a similarly impactful film to, to the, in, in the context of 1978. Um, and it's a little corny, but you know what? It, the source material is a little corny, too. Um, and I mean, Christopher Reeve for all, for an entire generation of people is Superman in the way that Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man for an entire generation of people. So, no, yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. It's the 40th anniversary, I guess. Yeah. Now there is no announcement as far as when tickets will go on sale, but, uh, I'm sure that Phil will be on top of that to make sure that he can go see this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this would be a good... F- and it's got that, uh, you know, that masterful John Williams score uh, <laughs> and to boot. This Wait, is when really? He was a- John Williams? Yeah, dude. This is when he was well, firing all that. cylinders. He did all three of the films I mentioned, too. Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right, and right. Superman. And he was nominated for Grammys and Academy Awards just, like, for all these Consistently. movies. Consistently. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if it'll be HD or not HD uh, IMAX. I don't know. It'd be a weird movie to have an IMAX though. Why is that? Just because it's 1978. Yeah, the quality probably. Right, makes sense. Um, so go ahead. Yeah, there's just some corniness. Margot Kidder's a little corny, even though she's great. R.I.P. Uh, Gene Hackman is very corny in this movie, but this is a different Lex Luthor. This is before. Uh, Post crisis, nineteen eighty six, when he became this big businessman. Uh, so you have to keep those kind of things in mind. Yep. 
Last week we talked about Alterna Comics and the controversy surrounding their uh, submission guidelines, social media conduct uh, guidelines. Now, basically what they said was uh, creators couldn't use blockchains or block bots or anything like that to on to follow or to block rather uh, people on social media in mass. They don't want you doing that. And the reason that they give is because uh, those kinds of programs can inadvertently block people who could be potential fans or buyers of books. They don't they don't want that kind of thing going on. So it appears as though the first uh, the first victim, if you will, of this system uh, has come out. Uh, Micah Myers is a letter letterer. And he says on Facebook that uh, after Alterna's policy uh, was released, he was fired for using a a blockchain. Uh, Now, in the last few days, this is coming from him. Now, in the last few days, a lot of things have been happening with Alterna, and I remained silent. Even when Peter, Peter is Peter Samedi, who is the founder and publisher of Alterna. Even when Peter was subtweeting about my story a few days back, and making me out to be the bad guy. So for my own mental health, I want to get this out there and move on. Also to help my mental health, I am adding a few more blocks. Valid. Uh, sorry? Valid. He Yeah, he alleges that uh, he he used the blockchain and was, was forced off a book as a result. Um, Alterna has since come out, I should say Peter Sabetti of Alterna, has since come out and said that this is not true. In fact, he posted on Twitter and uh, put up the following. To at CBR, this is completely false. Remove this before I seek legal action. I have the emails to prove Micah's tweets are false. I do not fire or hire freelancers. The fact that you published this article without getting a comment from us first speaks volumes to your ethics. Now, he goes on to tweet that he doesn't want to ruin uh, Micah's life, uh, but that this is affecting his mental health and that he's suicidal over this, which is uh, interesting because Peter Samedi definitely tweeted about this issue and clearly is aware of 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 what went on. So Myers is not or Micah is not lying. We have a blockbot policy. This is a this is a prior tweet from Peter. This is before the CBR article. We have a blockbot policy. Creators can block on an individual case by case basis, but blind blocking often catches unknowing people in the crossfire. Our goal is to get our comics to as many people as possible. Block pop, block bots are not a part of that goal. One letterer violated that. Micah Myers is a letterer. So clearly Peter knew what was going on. What do you guys make of this? Should have should have not used a block bot. I gotta tell you. Boo. <laughs> um, from from a business perspective, I get where Peter's coming from, but it's not the sort of business I think you would want to sort of perpetuate. And it's not the image you would want to perpetuate. Um, you know, as 
you would think you would want to sort of foster the creators that are working with you so that people will continue to come to you as a publisher and bring those people who are fans of them, of those creators, uh, to the book. And, you know, uh, you don't, like, I get it that margins are, are thin and that, you know, it always comes down to the last person trying to pick up a book. But if you had to choose between the your bottom dollar and or your bottom line and a creator unfortunately a lot of these publishers go for that bottom line and it's it's just unfortunate and uh it sucks that mike had to go through this and that you know he was doing it to essentially protect himself um so on i, I on peter's part i don't think it was the right move or the smart move and now he's these are the repercussions of that. Yeah. You know what, Marco? I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that Alterna is, is within their rights to do this. It, it, you know, whether it's right or wrong is not really the point. The point is that this is legally okay and this is their policy and this is what they want to do. And if you don't like that, then you shouldn't work there. And I think yeah. that's a tough that's a tough statement because obviously as creators, you know, you got to make as much money as you can and whatever else. But if your mental health is at stake because comics gators are coming after you and you want to block them all, but you can't because you want to work for Alterna, well, you got to make a choice. And you either accept and, and take the heat from these, you know, people or you don't work there. That, it's that simple. I don't agree with any of that. Um, it's a fact. It's factual. Well, yeah, that is factual in a sense. That's what's happening, but that doesn't mean that's ethical. Like you could be sure. like, you could be like, um, you know, I can't work at BP because of the way they can they they uh, you know contract oil from the earth or something. That doesn't mean BP should be contracting oil from the earth at all. Um, there's a lot of moral amb- ambiguity there. There should be more accountability toward a business or a corporation for their practices Phil, not you have an agenda with businesses i get that i accept <laughs> it that's not part of this conversation the it fact is. of the matter it is it is though it isn't the fact that we we don't no one has power over alterna right as an individual creator all micah myers can do is control where he works and how he works this if he doesn't want to deal with alterna's policy that he shouldn't work there. This he is, can't do anything else. This is well, why to, government regulations exist. And also you can sue over the legality of it and right. you can change the course of the business that way. That's how this shit actually changes. But, and I was going to say you can not going to work there, right? But you can but you can like work with like the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund and like those kind of those kind of organizations to counter this from an ethical standpoint. From a business standpoint, fine. Like what's done is done. And the the policy that they have in place is one that's limiting and one that has affected Micah. But from uh, an ethical standpoint, and to Phil's point, you can combat it. Uh, from a, you can combat this um, as to whether or not he will and it will actually bring anything to fruition is another story. But uh, I think there are there are two conversations here um, that are that are being considered right now. Yeah, I think that that's valid. If if those channels will work for him, then that's great. But at the end of the day, if 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 the policy is what it is, and you don't like it, then you don't work there. 
It's mm-hmm. it, it that's what it comes down to. It's that's too much of a simplistic perspective. That's like when uh, there's a lot of businesses historically that would hire that would fire people for their sexual orientation or if they reported sexual harassment, things like that. And it's like, well, if you don't like it, well, just don't work there. Work somewhere else. The economy and the nature of job this end like this industries to begin with are so so competitive and it's so difficult just to find like the 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 comic book industry is so so narrow and 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 uh, saturated as it is that options aren't plentiful so we're going to create more barriers because of an un- unsavory business practice no that's unethical that's why something like this should be further pursued you don't have to work there but you can literally strive outside of that to change the business practice because of the nature then, of how unethical then, it is then do something about it but there's nothing to be gained from whining on Twitter. Go actually take some action. Go well, make something happen. It doesn't it, sound like that's what he's looking to do, and that's fine. But it, but but barring that, if that's not what you're going to do, then you either work there or you don't. Well, in it's, the context of whining on Twitter, it, it makes sense in this context because you can gain more attraction and publicity for it because this puts more pressure on them to change their practices without any, any legal recourse. Yeah, and I'm not so sure that they will because the opposition is taking to this and loving it. Comicsgate loves what Alternate Comics is doing. In fact, if you look in the in the in the uh, tweet thread, uh, Mitch Brettweiser is the first person saying, "Hey, if you need any help at all, I've got a legal team. I've got this, this, and that, uh, and and we'll help you out." And and I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that I'm not sympathetic for what Myers went through. I am. I think it sucks what alternate comics policy is. I think it's awful. And I don't want to be demonized on this podcast. (laughs) I mean, you have a tendency to do that. So I'm not going to let that happen. What I am saying is that the way that we shut these businesses down, right, if we dislike their practice, well... If you're not going to go the legal way, then let's not work for them. Let's not let's not provide work to these people. Let's not let's not help them further their their agenda. Let's form other companies. Let's do other things. There's always this this desire to force a change when we can make the change. Hey, Marvel, make Iron Fist Asian. No, make better Asian characters. Give Shang-Chi more of an opportunity to shine. That's my perspective on things like this. Uh, Sean, you you mentioned how like comet skaters are happy about this. I wonder if there's I, it, this also feels like a general acknowledgement that their reader base and the people that they would want to su- continue to support are these sorts of people. Alternative, uh, alternative in support of comet skaters. Oh yes, yeah. Here's- that's- that's the other side of it is the talk about the negative PR that comes from this where it's like <laughs> unintentionally it's like Asper Comics welcome comic skaters <laughs> yeah absolutely but but to be honest they have that right if the, if that is their if that is who they like and if those are the people that they want to court then they can do that if Peter Samedi is this person who he appears to be based on what we're discussing here, then that's okay. I mean, it's it's not, I don't agree with it on any level, 
But those people have the right to try to make their money. And it's going to come out in the wash whether or not comic the comic book community is going to support them and support those titles. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, I don't see Alterna surviving this because their press has been so bad. But we'll see. I called him Aspera. <laughs> you did? <laughs> I was going to let that slide, but... Uh... It took me a second to realize I even did it, so... Now, on a brighter note, and one that I'm happy to talk about, Miss Marvel has sold half a million trade paperbacks. Wow, shit. That's a big number. And keep in mind, we're talking about a character that is, has existed for less than 10 years. Isn't she like 2014 or something? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I, 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 no, that, I think that's a little, that's a little too recent. But, too recent? Right. Yeah. But, but she's been created within this decade, within the 2010s. 2013. Oh, that was close. She appeared close. in. She made her first appearance in Captain Marvel number 14 in August 2013, before going on to star in the solo series, which debuted in February 2014 of Miss Marvel. Five years go. old. Damn. So that's literally a hundred thousand copies averaged uh, a a year. Oh no, less. Oh my god, go on, Sean. So. Again, this is a character who's existed only in this decade and has existed without a movie or a television show. So a, a live action minor appearances show. in yeah. cartoons. Yep. That's pretty phenomenal. Uh, one thing that people have tried to point out as opposition is that most of the sales uh, are for volume one. That's but, fine. Whatever. But that's right. That's normal. I would argue. Yeah. Damn. Um, I don't know why they cast me as a psychic of that movie when there's a much more obvious choice. <laughs> uh, the other thing that's really cool that, that, that they kind of said here is that her sales for the, um, the print books actually are similar to the digital sales. So her... So her, oh. yeah, her print sales and digital sales are are very similar. That's that's a really good sign because normally the digital sales are are less, right? Yes, typically that's true. To my knowledge, I think that I, that that sounds correct. Yes, but I think it's because there's also a lag in reporting on digital sales. Marco, do some research. Come at us next episode. I got you. Um, when what is what, who in the in the zeitgeist of the of, of this industry has had a more immediate impact than Miss Marvel or or what character like Miss Marvel's had this impact since what other character you know what I mean is it like Harley Quinn maybe um it depends Deadpool? on where you it depends on how you feel about Miles Morales because if, oh yeah. I think he's probably the other one. So it'd be her going backwards. It'd be her as the most recent, and then Miles, and then I would say Harley. Yeah, is there anyone in between Miles and Harley you can think of? Uh, 
No, because the only other character that comes to mind for me is Jessica Jones, who was created in like 2001. Yeah. But her her impact happened like a decade later, right? With the show, yeah. the Jessica well, so, Jones show. So, so did Harley Quinn. She came out in 92, and her real impact didn't come to like 2008 or whatever. I wouldn't say so. She's been popular since the show. Yeah. She, I, I, she I was, think she exploded, though. She, yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 I think Harley Quinn is in a class of her own, to be honest. Yeah. Um, wow, yeah, Miles. And he has his own movie coming out, too. Yeah. So that's cool. No, good, uh, good shit. I, uh, I've never read a Miss Marvel comic before. Just because, like, uh, I, I think if I was a teenager, I would have been into that book. But uh, I, don't, I'm, I don't really read, like, teen superhero books anymore, you know? It's just not my thing. Um. I, I uh, make an exception, I guess, for like a Superman origin book, but that's not like an ongoing thing. That's like a little thing. Uh, but I like it from like an abstract perspective. I like that there's an audience for a character like this, and the every book that is published doesn't have to be strictly for me. <laughs> you know, that'd be insanity. In fact, com- the comic book industry would collapse if it was like, <laughs> we gotta cater Phil Casey. <laughs> Only Grant Morrison. But that's, that's the comics gateway, right? That's yeah, the- that's true, though. Yeah, That's a good point. Because um, the comics gateway is I just want books strictly for me and, and my taste. And that attitude is not only toxic and, and, and extremely negative, but it would destroy the industry. Um, I like another thing I wanted to mention is this is what you made a comment about with with making Iron Fist Asian as opposed to making more Asian characters or giving uh, Shang Chi more of a chance to do stuff. Um, this is like obviously this is a legacy character, but this is a great opportunity to highlight something that's completely new. This is yeah. This is what I'm talking about when I say that because we have two recent successes, and and again, you have to keep in mind the industry we're talking about. We're not talking about film. We're not talking about television. We're talking about comics where new characters typically drown, right? We Absolutely. Know. And we have two uh, very popular characters who were created who are minorities that people have clung to, and so that shows. That even though it's very difficult, it can work. It can work. X-23 was was made into Wolverine. That was a success. Amadeus Cho was made into the Hulk. That worked. You know? I don't, I don't agree with those things necessarily. And certain fans didn't necessarily agree with them either. But it, it raised the bar for those characters. Yeah. And it goes... Like, there's a mentality that diversity in comics uh hurts sales and it's not just from comic skaters we see that sometimes like just that message that came from marvel last week seemed kind of uh talking about meat and potato comics which i infer to mean like more whiteness in comics well they were talking about politics right and that's how i that's how i inferred what they meant but uh, I think you, I think in the cases that you mentioned, like X twenty three, Amadeus Cho, Miles Morales, it's clear. I think there's and then just this news alone of of Miss Marvel's paperback sales proves that there's a market for this. It, 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 like anything else, I think it has to be handled with quality. And 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 Marco talks about how much he hates that book, America. 
uh that i never read it but maybe that's because that book wasn't a good book if you do a good book that is also diverse in its cast or its authorship and um penmanship you know it'll sell yeah you'll see dividends on that and sean agreed it's not a great book yeah right exactly but you were like outspoken about it that's why i remembered it but you're right you sean also (laughs) um and miss marvel proves that i think yeah the last point I wanted to make on this subject was just that what's interesting to me about this also is that Miss Marvel's fan base and audience is different than typical comic book readers because they prefer to read her books in collected editions. They prefer to buy trades of hers. Also, given that her digital sales are so good, um, they're also buying her book digitally. So... Miss Marvel's being read different than most other characters. They're probably buying each issue digitally and then buying it collected, uh, buying it a collected edition. Um, and I, I mean, I, I certainly see the appeal of buying things in a collected edition. Kale certainly does that as well. He always says, "Well, I'm a trade waiter." So, um, it's tough to, and I know the comic book industry struggles with this as well as trying to. <laughs> Uh, gauge how popular a book is when you compare its paperback sales versus its trade sales. So, but I mean, you're right. This proves that there's like a different type of consumer base. Mm-hmm. And there's a different type of way to consume it that, you know, can be considered successful. Yeah. So, no, it's awesome. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she actually does get her own movie soon. I'm very much looking forward to it. So, we just talked about Miss Marvel, and now we're going to talk about Captain Marvel, because... I'm excited for this. What? They're different? They they are different. <laughs> no. They all they are different, yes. I thought Miss Marvel evolves into Captain Marvel. They're not she Pokemon does. fucking hell, oh, man. Oh, man. A, a young Pakistani girl evolves into a blonde <laughs> white woman. <laughs> Hollywood's dream. <laughs> Oh, Every major man. Hollywood executive producer is like, sounds good to me. <laughs> Marco, cut that out. No, don't. <laughs> I don't I'm, I'm not lying. I think that's how they really feel. Uh, so earlier in the week, Brie Larson tweeted at uh, Entertainment Weekly that she was bored and asked if they wanted to break the internet. They said they were down. Comic book fans all over the world rejoiced and burnt on the inside with anticipation for what they believe would be a trailer release through Entertainment Weekly. But we were only led to, uh, for some of us anyway, some disappointment because instead what we got was Entertainment Weekly's Captain Marvel issue. So Captain Marvel is on the cover. We officially have uh, a look at Brie Larson as Captain Marvel Released straight from EW in all her glory. Um, And we got a bunch of news based on this film and and what it's going to be. We even got a great first look at Nick Fury from the 90s. Uh, So I can't wait to talk about all that stuff. My first question to you guys. Are you disappointed in in this first look? What do you mean? In the sense that 
I don't know if you guys know or saw when Brie Larson was tweeting at Entertainment Weekly and they talked about breaking the internet. Are you disappointed that this wasn't a trailer? The movie comes out in November, correct? No. Whoa, that's crazy. The movie comes out in, what, May? March. March? March. Oh, okay. I was was thinking it was the fall installment because there's usually like a, a, a Marvel movie in the fall. Um, I guess it comes out like a month or two before part two of the Infinity War movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes sense then. I was like, yeah, that movie's coming out soon. Where is this Where is this trailer? Um, yeah, okay, I'm not disappointed in the lack of trailer anymore then. Marco? Uh, I wasn't... I, I actually didn't really expect uh, a trailer. I kind of expected just more news. Um, so I, I was I was happy. Um, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was I was disappointed. It, it was obvious that it wasn't going to be a trailer because it was through Entertainment Weekly, right? Yeah, it doesn't make sense for them, right? But the idea of oh hey let's break the internet this isn't really this doesn't qualify for that. And I guess that she was <laughs> just using a you know buzz terminology, but um, and then also I just think we don't we've seen a lot of this already. And or at least heard a lot of this already, and I'm a little turned off by the fact that we we just haven't seen anything from this film yet. Well, I think we've seen a few things that I think really stand up. First of all, Ronan, Ronan and the Accusers back, which I thought was interesting. Yes, Ronan's back, looking better than ever. In fact. Um, yeah, because he's a little younger, I guess. <laughs> a little younger, a little less crusty, uh, um, and now a sex symbol. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is he a Twitter sex has, symbol? Twitter has turned Ronan the Accuser into a sex symbol. Yes. Ah, oh, man. This is like the Thanos shit all over again. This is Thanos shit all over again. Um, that explains the memes. <laughs> that That's the worst sentence you've ever said in your life, my friend. Yeah. I really wish I could go back to a time when that wasn't said. The 90s? Back yeah, in the 90s. Um, Sam Jackson kind of looks like he did in Jurassic Park here, which is crazy. He looks better than he's ever looked in his life. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny, though. <laughs> Real life Sam Jackson never looked this good. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, Marvel's really good at de-aging people, huh? They're the best. I mean, Disney in general, right? Well, I'm not crazy. I wasn't crazy about uh, uh, the Star Wars movie where they de-aged uh, Carrie Fisher because I thought that didn't look so hot. But uh, Michael Douglas uh, in in Ant-Man or Kirk Douglas, I guess. Whichever one, whatever. Michael Douglas. Michael and Douglas. Kirk Douglas is dead. Right. Um, <laughs> That'd be an interesting process. <laughs> Well, they did that in Star Wars too with um, with um, what's his name, the uh, general. Yeah, can Disney de death people? Because that would be hot. Like if they could just <laughs> like bring Carrie Fisher back, you know, they're, they're gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the main the main thing we got here in my mind is the look at the scrolls. Yes, we we got. Well, we had seen them actually. Had we? I, this this is my fir- this is my first remembering actually seeing them at San Diego Comic Con. They showed the scrolls actually on screen, um, 
so this is not that, again that's why i'm saying i feel like so much of what we're seeing here is not really new now to, well, to your point though we are seeing them in you know like in in live action a picture from the movie as opposed yeah. to so, so yeah look, i guess i guess that's that they look great for what it's i think worth. they look great yeah they look right out of the comic books like not literally but like a good translation yeah yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, I wish they were a little more green. I'm am I'm, I'm I'm very okay with their appearance. Uh, I think it it looks it looks neat. Uh, we it's see, subtle. We, I like it. <laughs> uh, we see Jude Law as Marvel, which I'm also into. Yeah, and, and they're not calling him that. They're not. They haven't explicitly said through Entertainment Weekly's drop that he is playing Captain Marvel. But he, I think he's billed as such, isn't he? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, well, so I'm on comicbook.com, right? And there's an article they have here, and they list the cast at the bottom, and it says Jude Law playing Marvel. But then there's another article that I was reading where they talk about his mysterious role. No, so they, they probably just don't want. It's like the worst kept secret, I guess. Here it is from 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 the actual Entertainment Weekly article. It says, uh, referring to Captain Marvel, she's left her earthly life behind to join an elite Kree military team called Star Force, led by Jude Law's enigmatic commander. Doesn't yeah. say anything about who's playing. Right. I think they're trying. I think it's the worst kept secret kind of thing. They're being coy. Yeah. They're being coy. This. This, this is going to sound a little fucked up. This is the Green Lantern movie we never got. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Marvel is the uh, dying alien who gives Carol her powers. Uh, I forget the... Uh, Abensor. I, was, I couldn't remember his name, but Abensor. Uh, she's part of the Air Force or whatever. I mean, I think she's part of S.W.O.R.D. I don't know if they're going to call it S.W.O.R.D. in this movie. Uh, the... the, the Agent of the the Shield branch that deals with like extraterrestrial shit. Oh well, they're calling it they're calling it uh, Star Force. Oh okay, that's (laughs) thank you, President Trump. (laughs) 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 Um, Oh no! Yes. What if the alt right adopts Captain Marvel as the leader of the Space Force? Hey, Space Force! She's that's what I just referenced, Marco. Keep up. <laughs> no, I'm just yelling it like now that she's leading it, you can we have a leader, guys. Dude, she's blonde hair and blue eyes. They might do that. That's literally oh, perfect. Not it's not, but I know what you meant by that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um I'm I'm uh I'm into this movie. I uh I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna be, and I certainly hope they don't. What they don't do? What Pete tweeted, and he, he was like, "Oh, what if she kicks ass to this '90s song montage?" And I'm like, "No, thanks to that." Yeah, <laughs> Pete. Pete was saying that they should have ska music in this film because it's fuck the 90s. no. And I was thinking to myself, at what point in the '90s was ska the thing? It was popular in like certain pockets of the country. You ever see the movie The Mask with Jim Carrey? There's a lot of shit like that in there because it was really hot in like pockets of California in the 90s. But is that ska? Is that it's not what ska is? That's neo swing, I guess. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> if Pete was here, he'd be red in the face right now, yelling at you. 
I mean, second wave ska was hot, baby. (laughs) Listen, he grew up in Jersey, so I'm sure that ska was a thing there. But everywhere else, like the normal part of the world, uh, like civilization across the river, no one cared about ska. Yeah, wasn't all the Mad Max movies filmed in New Jersey because it's just a wasteland? (laughs) Basically, (laughs) it literally is. It's a hellhole. It's the hellhole we escaped from. Exactly. That's right. Every time we go visit Pete, it, we're just privileged to get out of there in one piece. You ever seen the movie Escape from New York? I think it was literally Escape from New Jersey. <laughs> That's where it was filmed, right? It was filmed in Jersey. That's a little known fact. <laughs> um, I, I need. I want a trailer for this movie now. Uh uh, looking at these pictures, the picture of her in the cockpit of a of a plane, and now it was just like Hal Jordan. Um, Top Gun. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like what a Green Lantern movie, a first Green Lantern movie, should be in my mind, very Top Gun like, because Hal Jordan is very Tom Cruise from that movie. Um, mm. I think we're gonna get a nice mix of <laughs> shit. I really do think this is gonna be the Green Lantern movie we never got, because I think she's gonna essentially. It's going to start on Earth, she's going to get her powers, shit's going to go into space, as she has to deal with a giant intergalactic conflict. In this case, the Kree Skrull War. Um, I've wanted a good fucking Green Lantern movie my entire adult life, so I'll take it in the form of Captain Marvel, 100%. And um, Brie Larson's a great actress. I don't know if you ever saw Room, but I mean, that's a great movie. Um, I talked about it before oh. she was announced. Um, that was a good movie. I think she was in Kong Skull Island. Uh, that's not as good of a movie, but uh, she's pretty good in it. Um, I didn't see it. Pete and Kale are really high on it, and they're not here to defend it, so I can trash it all I want. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think this is... I mean, we, we know the, the, the cultural impact here. Um, Marvel Films finally gets their Wonder Woman figure. They get their Wonder Woman figure... For sure. What's interesting to me is that she's kind of, I feel like, she's being situated as sort of the Superman. the next main character. I see her as Superman, honestly. Yeah. I think she's going to come into the Infinity War Part 2 as like <laughs> the, the pendulum that swings the other way. But, but, but different in the sense that she's not like Superman. No, personality-wise. No, not at all. So, so um, on a power scale, I agree with you because Kevin Feige has said that sh- her power level is so high that it changes the game. I'm not saying... Yeah, I, I think as a figure, she's the Superman... Fi- and it's funny because we talked about her being the Wonder Woman of Marvel, having Green Lantern story, and being the central <laughs> Superman figure of Marvel going forward. <laughs> so there's a little yeah. bit of everything there, just minus the Batman. Um, I... Low key, I'm not a big Carol Danvers fan historically. I think she, I'm not really big on like the in the books. She's like very military decorum kind of thing, and I'm yes, not into that. Yes. Uh, she's too military for me. Whereas Cap is like my type of military figure, Captain America. I mean, um, so we'll see what they do with her in this. Uh, but I'm in, I'm very interested in it because I don't know if she'll be like comic book Carol Danvers. I hope I'll be really upset if she's not, because say what you will about whether or not you like the fact that she's like that, it's something different. You're right. You're right. 
and real people exist like her. So I want to see that. The only problem that I guess I have in that respect is that in the comics, she has counterbalances, right? So like Captain America is a counterbalance to what she's like, you know? But yeah. I don't yeah, yeah, know yeah. that Captain America is going to be around for much longer. Yeah. You're right. Um, I mean, uh, all signs point that he's got a foot out the door. Yeah. Unless they recast or they let Falcon or Bucky be cast. But even then, they're different, you know? They're different. They're not C. Yeah. Rogers. So you're right. I don't know if she'll have a counterpoint. I, don't, I certainly don't think Doctor Strange is that counterpoint. So No. And, and, and of course, you know, it remains to be seen how she'll integrate into the, into the Avengers. Will she become an Avenger? Will there be Avengers? You know, we don't we don't know a lot of that stuff quite yet. Yeah, Phase 4 has been nothing but an uncertainty of what it will resemble for the last five years. Yeah. They've, they've released, like, this huge plan of, all right, this is what we're going to do for the next five years. It, it, uh, it climaxes in Infinity War 2, and then we've just been waiting ever since. We've heard things like Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3 and, and Spider-Man 2. Sequels. We've heard sequels. But beyond that, just question yeah. marks. Now, this movie is not going to be an origin story, which I'm very, very pleased with. Yeah, Marvel feels like they just don't yeah. have to do that shit anymore. I guess. Yeah, um, and they and they do they do talk about it in the. I don't even know if it was in the Entertainment Weekly article itself, um, but somewhere in all the rollout of everything that they've that they've done here, uh, they talk about how this movie is more. She already has her powers, and it's more the story of her time with the Space Force and what leads to and her time against the Skrulls and what leads to her. Being out of the picture, uh, and and her relationship with Nick Fury. Speaking to that, we know that she's part Cree in this film, uh, which oh, is huh. right exactly. So Brie Larson said this to Entertainment Weekly: "You have this Cree part of her that's unemotional, that is an amazing fighter and competitive. Then there's this human part of her that is flawed, but is also the thing that she ends up leading by." It's the thing that gets her in trouble, but it's also the thing that makes her great. And those two sides warring against each other is what makes her her. Sounds like movie Spock. Interesting. Because in the movie Star Trek, the Star Trek movies that J.J. Abrams rebooted, um, in, in Star Trek media, uh, Commander Spock is half Vulcan and half human. He has a human mother and a Vulcan father. And the TV show... From the 60s, he leans more heavily into the Vulcan side, which is very cold, logical, and precise. But in the J.J. Abrams films, uh, Zachary Quinto, rather than Leonard Nimoy, leans more into the human side. And he struggles with the upbringing of being a, a Vulcan and having that, like, very uh, all emotion, getting rid of the emotion, purging the emotion, but having that human side that just leads into that. So that's what that sounds like to me. Well, what's really interesting about this is that Carol Danvers is not a naturally born half Cree. She becomes that right. In the books, she becomes that through yeah, yeah, yeah. her interaction with Marvell. So Mar-Vell. are they changing her origin? Because if they do, that's actually No what? one 
I, I don't think many people know her origin, so I think you can. You play can, with her. and that's fine. The only reason why I was saying that maybe that's not such a good idea is because Star Lord is the exact same thing. Star Lord is half um, god, god, alien, and half human thing. He's half ego, the living planet. Yeah, whatever he is. They call him a celestial. Right, he's half, he's half celestial. celestial. Thank you. He's half celestial, half human. So, are they really just going to do that again? Have her just be half Kree, half human? Well, I think the difference there, and it depends what they do, obviously, but the difference is Star-Lord didn't know who his father was, and he learns it later. And he's just a human that has an interesting birthright. Whereas here, she might know she's half Kree the whole time. It's also possible that her becoming half Kree just takes place off screen. That's true, too. Yeah. Which I actually mm-hmm. think is the best possible solution to all of this. Yeah, if it's not an origin story, like her origin story is that, you know, Marvel's dying and she gets his right. powers. But Marvel's in the movie. Yeah. Right. So maybe he doesn't <laughs> die? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he dies at the end. I like I said, there's room to play with. I I agree with you if they if if they play into like having two, doing the Star Lord thing twice would suck. But there's ways to do it that you don't have to do the same thing twice. So we'll see what they right. do. What? Her outfit looks she good, looks by great. the way. Um, cosmetically yeah. speaking. Yep, they did such a good job. I really am am pleased with this look. A lot of people wanted the old Miss Marvel costume back. The yeah, that wasn't that was gonna never fly. Gonna happen. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that costume. I'm a big fan of that era. But that's not where Marvel is with this character, and they're never going to be there again. So, yeah, I mean, and and the reality is, Carol's had three distinct looks before her current look, where with the black and yellow look, she had the. Uh, cap the, the classic Captain Marvel look with the what she wears now, but in a in a more Silver Age looking kind of appearance, and then she had like a red and white kind of thing going on too at one point. So uh, it's not like she has a quintessential look. It's changed like decade by decade. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. There you go. Mar- uh, Marco's holding it up, but you could easily look it up. I had to I, I had to Google it because I didn't know what was going on. And I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't pass. Right. That doesn't fly. Those are the four distinct looks I was talking about for what it's Yeah, like. so uh, you, you got to just get over that. It's, that. That was. I like I like this one. It, it it also like it'll probably fits into her character a bit more. It being almost like a flight suit, you know. It's uh, it's yeah. just it's appropriate. And um, this was the suit designed by um, was it Kieran? No, uh, Jamie. Oh my god. Uh, he does art on Wicked oh, and Divine. Oh, God. Um, um, you were thinking of... Jamie McKelvey. Yes. There okay. you go. <clears throat> is, that who, is that who designed this? I had no idea. Yeah. Really? McKelvey, yeah. McKelvey designed it. Ah, that's cool. I had no idea. But um, I, I, I'm really excited for this film, to be honest. I think... Of all the possible, you know, first movies for a character, this is probably the one that's on the horizon that I'm the most pumped for. Uh, 
on the horizon. I think there's like well, the including only Nova, horizon. including um, what's the? They're not definitively making a Nova movie though, right? Is this rumored? I thought they were. I think hmm. it's just rumored. Okay. I don't think Marvel's announced any definitive first movies. Well, we know yet. they're. Well, we know they're Coming. doing the. Uh, oh my god, the they're, they're connected to the the the. They're connected to Thanos. Uh, what do they call? Oh, the um, the, uh, you, the Eternals. Eternals. I think that's also. I think that's also rumored. It hasn't been officially confirmed either. Yeah, you might be right about that. Okay. Well, we don't know anything but, about Phase Four, except for right. the sequels. But I, I just think this movie has so much potential. Absolutely, it has a lot of potential, and I will say this: I've been very, I've been very lukewarm on Marvel through the years, uh, but their last, I don't know, five six movies have been mostly outstanding. Uh, my mileage on Spider-Man: Homecoming and Thor: Ragnarok differs from the consensus, but outside of those two films, I think they've hit nothing but home runs. Yep. Um, so I'm really excited to see this movie. I, I think if this movie was made during Phase Two, I would not be. I probably wouldn't be very into it. But here we are in 2019 when this comes out. I think, like you said, the potential is there for a phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been firing on all cylinders, and I don't think this at this point it, this movie is going to be any any different. They're also doing a lot of really smart things, right? So they're packaging. Listen, Captain Marvel is a popular character, but she's not the most popular character. She's not even the most no, popular she's woman not. that Marvel has. So. There's been, a, I think, there's been a little bit of a repackaging of her in popular culture, where they talk about her being bigger than she actually is. I, I think she's a fairly, I think, I think at this point she's still kind of a B character, a B level character. In the comics, in the comics, she's portrayed as being an A lister, but I think in the zeitgeist she's still a B level character. Yes. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh, she still interesting. Has, she still hasn't had a definitive run. She's had popular runs that are, are, that are praise, but not a run that is like the definitive run. And and I think this movie represents a chain, a chain, an opportunity, a chance in a way that 2008 Iron Man did for this character to really emerge as an A-lister. Not even the the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. I think that's a popular run. I think that was you know a lot of people liked it, but I don't think it was the definitive yeah. run. It hasn't happened yet. Similar to Wonder Woman. Hmm. And, yeah. and the thing is that because of that fact, Marvel has very intelligently offered to give us something else that fans really want, which is the Skrulls. So now, if you don't necessarily care that much about Captain Marvel, like let's say her villain was like Deathbird, right? Which is not going to happen. But let's say it was Deathbird. That sucks. Like that's not that interesting. You'd be going to see that movie – just because you really like Captain Marvel, or because you, or you like, or Marvel. you like Marvel exactly, right? Really, yeah. But if you, but if they add the Skrulls and they add '90s Nick Fury, then it's like, well, man, all right, this is like this is something. So they're giving you a pivotal piece of Marvel's history couched into this film. So it's a must see. You can't ignore this. You have to see it. Brilliant. Yeah. They chose the they chose the right. They, you know what they're, they're they're kind of doing the Captain Marvel story with Carol Danvers, which is totally fine with me. Yeah, yeah. I I have no problems right now with how they're choosing to roll this character out, and I think 
the fact that her debut in the modern era, like not the modern era, but in the current MCU timeline, will be in Infinity Wars two, puts her center stage. Is she gonna look much older? That's probably question. not. She's Cree, right? So there's got to be some kind of oh know, de aging or something, or just not aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, interesting uh, side piece here. Uh, there was a TV show six years ago called Earth's Mightiest Heroes, The Avengers. It was a really good cartoon show. Uh, they did an episode about the creation of, of Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers, where it takes place during the Kree Scroll War and with Captain Marvel dying. Probably really relevant to this movie. Worth checking out beforehand if you kind of want a little background and you're not familiar with what the subject of the film is. For sure. Be. And uh, I think that that actually is a really good point. In terms of you are wanting to read or catch up with with this character, um, Marco rep, rep, referenced the Kelly Sue DeConnick Kelly Sue DeConnick that was well praised, and uh, I think I read some of that. I don't remember honestly. Uh, I was a big fan of Miss Marvel in the late later two thousands. Um, as a what was the team she led? Avengers team Force? No, 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 no. no, no, no. Not Secret Avengers, the other one. Oh God, no, no, West Mighty Coast? Avengers. I no. love that run. Yeah, that was Mighty so good. Avengers. Thank you. Uh, I, I I was in love with that. She was the leader of that team. She was a member of the New Avengers, I believe, and I really enjoyed that as well. Um, so there's lots of lots of places you can check her out. Currently, they're doing the Life and Times of Miss Marvel, which I believe is being written by Margaret Stoll. Um, so. Have, yes. you pick, have you picked that I up at read all? The, I read the first issue, it... and I am not. I've not read the second one. I don't think it's out yet. Mm, okay. Yeah, I saw that come out, and I wasn't sure about picking it, it, it up. It got some flack. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's. Uh, I think it's quality. We'll see how it goes. So two episodes uh, I've recommended here. Four. Uh, the episode's called Four Fifty Nine. It's from season one. That's with uh, the debut of the scroll. Kree War, and then Welcome to the Kree Empire from Season 2, which is the formal introduction of Miss Marvel. Watch those two episodes, and I think you'll get a sense of what this movie's about. There you go. So I think that's a good place to wrap up. Let us know if you're excited for this film. We're going to obviously talk about it more as the trailer releases, and uh, obviously we'll be doing our review of it when it does eventually come out. Let us know if you're excited about this, but also let us know if you want captain marvel to be the figurehead of the mcu going forward if you're if you're cool with that or if you think there's a character who is better suited for that role like black panther or dr strange or those of you who are psychotic enough to say spider-man like pete uh so there are many ways that you can reach out to us of course we are on apple Podcasts (laughs) and spotify and everywhere else except i said spotify we're not on spotify no we're not on spotify not yet apple Podcasts and soundcloud Obviously, SoundCloud is the superior podcast hosting platform because Spotify won't have us. Um, <laughs> we are at the Comics Pals all over social media. You can write in with your thoughts on this or any other episode of the show by hitting us up at the Pals at gmail.com. And last but not least, we're on YouTube where you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel, which is a free thing you can do to help us out a lot. Plugs, Marco. You can find me 
at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I do want to make an announcement. Uh, I wrote a short story and I'm collaborating with an artist. We are working to release a very short two page uh, comic. It is about so, me. It is about <laughs> Phil and his uh, sensuality. Thank you. Thank you uh, very art- much. <laughs> the uh, artist is Nate Wells. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Nate B. Wells underscore art. Um, I'll have more updates as that slowly comes to uh, fruition. And yeah, we'll keep you guys posted. Uh, I'll do Kale Pete. You can do, I mean, Phil, you can do Pete. All right. Uh, Kale is in Luxembourg. Lichten- you can, yeah, he is in Luxembourg. Lichtens- no, you're yeah. right the first time. Oh, uh, you can find him at Toto and Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W. He also writes comics. You can check out his book from the deep and it's a kaiju inspired book. He also runs a small pan, uh, publication, uh, a, a small pub called um, pub. Panels Publishing. Oh my God. Uh, that is at Pan- Panels Comics with an X. You did good. Something like that. I, I tried. Well, all right, Marco, turn turn up, raise up the volume of what I'm about to do by like uh, uh, a few decibels. <laughs> okay. All right, so I'm Pete and Bessie. <laughs> <laughs> but where's the greasy, like, I'm a smoker voice? Yeah, all right. I guess I should put more effort into it. I just thought it'd be funny if it was my voice was louder. <laughs> all right, I'll do a Pete impression. Hold on. <clears throat> well, thank you. Uh, I'm, of course, Pete and Bessie. You can find me on all kinds of things. I take a poop in a toilet like most people in the world do. Um, I have a SoundCloud thing. You can listen to my music. It's at Pete and Bessie, probably, or something or other. You no, can listen to uh, my- Jetpack Advantage. <laughs> Jetpack advantage because I'm Pete and Bessie, and uh, talk about it in a second. Um, I also started writing for a website that's not CBR where I can write about video games because that's the thing I do most of my life. Loot I don't know pots. what it is though. Loot pots. Loot pots. No, no, loot pots. <laughs> loot. Uh, uh, pots. Uh, pepper pots. Pepper pots. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hit me up on Twitter at loud Pete, loud underscore Pete, and tell me why uh, you think Scott shouldn't be in Captain Marvel because uh, I think it should be because I like Scott music. Uh, Phil? All right, Mark, you can lower the decibels back down. <laughs> All right, well, you can follow and see what's happening with me in at captain marvel on twitter where they'll officially reveal that i am officially her sidekick bucky spillwater <laughs> chimney jellicers captain marvel there's a scroll over there that's one of my lines in the movie um hopefully they don't take out the scenes of me in that movie um you can hit me up on social media at cyborg bebop uh and we could talk about superman the movie from 1978 um also interestingly enough i've uh i've been thinking guys about re-watching man of steel which i have not seen in five watch years. watch it but Ooh. i'm under the guise where i want to give it a reevaluation with five years watch removal. it thank you so that that's gonna happen soon and i will report when i do yes Sean. so can we can we can we watch it together 
<laughs> yeah, sure. What, what are you like? Are yeah. you gonna snuggle up with some popcorn? <laughs> well, I mean, that's. I mean, I that, was hoping to cuddle. Yeah, yeah, that goes without question. My only concern is how that that, that will actually uh, manifest. Are you gonna come to Philly? You know. But yeah, I mean, get a if, telly. If we watch it together. It's rent it, rent, rent a telly, and uh, just uh, Netflix and chill. Yeah, we're gonna hey. we're gonna fuck. I know. Oh well, I wasn't gonna put it that way, but <laughs> um, popcorn, Sean. Okay, so number one, uh, never refer to me that way again. Uh, number two, though, I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram. You can hit me up to talk about anything you want, including how awesome Captain Marvel is. Big big fan. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you next week. I'm Pete. <laughs>